The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. All right. Well, welcome back to another edition of Winning Ponies. I'm John Inglehart. I am so glad that you are here. I uh, begin this show with, with a with a heavy heart. A guy that uh, you don't know and probably never will. He lurks in the background, but in a good way. And his name is Josh. Again, I can't release his last name because of uh, the uh, victim witness pro- program but nonetheless he was able to secure this job and uh, has just done a fantastic job of carrying me uh getting me through the bumps let me know what's coming up kind of you know coaching me along john you're going way too long hurry up shut this guest down where are you you've got 30 seconds to go till airtime a lot of things happen in the background, and all I can say is uh, I'm going to feel a little insecure next week because my man Josh won't be there to guide me through. But nonetheless, he's moving on to bigger and better things. We can't hold him back here at Winning Ponies. We just don't have enough money to keep him on the staff, and I understand there's a lot of different people that want him. they got bigger bucks than us, so it, it, it'll be rough. Hopefully next week's show will go okay without him, but uh, this is Josh's swan song uh, at uh, Voice America, and so so glad to have him on for these uh, uh, final 60 minutes, or 57 minutes, I should say. All right, well, uh, we're locked and loaded uh, with our guest for this evening, uh, we got a first-time starter, and we've got a veteran of winning ponies. The first-time starter is T.D. Houghton. Now, uh, he might not be as big of a name as Johnny V or some other people, but in the history of the sport of thoroughbred racing, there are only 18 jockeys that have won more races than T.D. Houghton. Uh, Not being in the top 20 in part of history is not bad, but uh, TD is an interesting study in character. Uh, He's interesting in athleticism. This guy is very cerebral and his approach not only to the sport, uh, to riding races, uh, but to life itself. Uh, obviously he, he's, he's a second generation jockey, um, but it's in his blood and it's in his heart and he is, he's the comeback kid. Uh, he is the man of metal. He's unbelievable. When, uh, you go through the litany of things that he has done been through over the years and yet he's back just two weeks ago i watched him win a hundred thousand dollar race that tells me he's back but he is coming back from serious facial fractures uh just his latest in comebacks they go back to when he was 18 years old uh when he had his first bad injury spent two weeks in the hospital bruised his heart then in 2000 uh he broke his ankle so bad he said when he looked down in the ambulance his foot was pointing in the wrong direction ouch i can imagine that's not something you can unsee real easy and then in 2002, uh, he suffered a traumatic 
brain injury when he was kicked in the head and was out for a whole year. That's when I first got to meet him because he came down when I was doing the regular guy television show uh, to, to make an on-air appearance to, that, to tell everybody, hey, look, I'm here. I'm okay. I don't have brain injury. <laughs> you can see me on television, so start riding me. And ride him they did. Uh, I, again, uh, what a – just a uh, – Sensational lifetime record, over 37,000 mounts, uh, over 6,000 wins. Again, in the top 20 riders of all time, that's T.D. Houghton. And we're going to talk not only about his most recent comeback and some of the things that he had to do with the facial in- industry and the fractures. He said they pretty much had to rebuild his whole face. Um, but while he was off, this is how smart this guy is, uh, T.D. Houghton, he took time to to study and take the majority of, I believe, um, all of the requirements to get a steward's license. Uh, Certainly uh, for somebody that's been in the saddle and has observed uh, legal matters in the sport, uh, there'd be nobody better than T.D. Houghton, and he's going to be our first guest. Our our second guest is going to be none other than Eric Wing. You know, he's the communications director for Horse Tourneys. the number one player-friendly qualifying contest, and he's got a slew of contests kicking up already. He's going to tell us about those contests. And so, of course, after Eric lets us know where you where you got to go to get in, the next thing you got to do is come on over to Winning Ponies, our easy win forms, folks. Uh, you know that I talk about this every week, and why not? Uh, the proof is in the pudding. Just yesterday, okay, you know, not every easy win form is going to win. It's going to point you in the right direction. Our algorithms are very, very strong and, and give some big price winners more often than not. But you got to stay with us. If you did, at the finger, finger lakes, just yesterday, we had a 20 cent pick six that paid $5,946. Yeah. that'll keep you in the game for a while so uh, when we talk to uh, Eric from Horse Tourneys uh, you might want to say I'm going to get in it because you can get in at so many different levels say I'm going to get it in on that because uh, I can go pull down the easy win forms for the tracks that we're playing now um, obviously Breeders' Cup is over so the greatest stakes races get a little bit thinner but we were able to five uh, three for eric and i to to look at and hopefully bestow some information upon you and i uh, will start out on the east coast at aqueduct the red smith you better have a lot of air in your lungs a mile and three eighths on the turf an interesting uh, group of stayers shall we say then we're going to go to the middle of the country The Chaluki, a grade three at Churchill Downs, will find out who showed up to race against Matera, a Brad Cox trainee that was scaring him away at the entry booth, but they ended up showing up, so he's got competition. And then we'll go out to the West Coast to the Native uh, Native Diver, three and up, a mile and an eighth out of Del Mar, and this is kind of a mixed bag midcourt might have a slight edge i've got my handicap and don't have any odds with them i'll ask eric if i got long shots or favorites who knows but uh so that that's a look at at the lineup uh, for uh for, for t- uh, tonight's show really looking forward to the interviews but until then let's catch you up on some of the news 
of the nation. All right. Here's a horse I had single that finished up the track in the Breeders' Cup. Jackie's Warrior. A lot of people tore up their tickets after watching Jackie's Warrior uh, finish sixth as the one to two favorite in the Breeders' Cup sprint. Well, what we find out is Jackie's Warrior suffered from, mm, a, let's say, minor knee chip and is going to come back in 2022. Of course, uh, it was his left knee, according to trainer Steve Asmussen, Dr. Larry Bromledge, who is uh, the best in the business, removed the chip uh, just about a week ago, recouping in uh, in Kentucky. And uh, But the good thing is they do plan a return for a 2022, 20, uh, hard to say, uh, coming back. I mean, th- th- this son of McLean's music has won eight at 12 starts for earnings of more than $1.5 million. And how about this for your resume of his wins? Seven of those have come in graded stakes, including the prestigious Hopeful and Champagne. All right, another horse that we didn't have to tear tickets up because they scratched the horse. Good call to the vets. All I can say is Jack Christopher, uh, who was expected to go off the favorite, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, was scratched by the track vets, luckily a day prior, so you could continue with your handicapping. Uh, but they did find out, as they thought, that, that, that the problem uh, was in one of his shins, which you see a lot with two-year-olds. So he had a small screw inserted in his left shin. It was called a stress uh, fracture, uh, but they saw no reason why this horse should not be able to come back and race against graded uh, stakes competition. We'll let uh, Mother Nature and Father Time uh, take over there. So, uh, Jack Christopher, hopefully we will see him back as a older horse. All right, Tyler Gaff-Leon, wow. All you had to do was bet him if you're betting at Churchill Downs. He rode into the Churchill Downs uh, record book, Jockey of the Week, for last week. Uh, of course, he had just won the leading riding title at Keeneland for the third time. And, man, he is keeping Big Mo going. He won six wins from six mounts to put him in the record book. Uh, not since, how about this history? 1907 has a jockey at Churchill Downs, one with all six of their mounts. So Tyler Gaff-Leon, he is some young rider and is going to be around for a while. Um, so obviously he's alone at the top of the Churchill standings uh, right there with uh, Mitchell Mural. And uh, so think about this. Tyler's won every leading rider title at Churchill Downs since spring of 2020 just last week he earned over 592,000 for his connections look for him being down at Gulfstream Park all right this time of uh, the year we hear more about horses going off to stud rock your world uh, is not going to race as an older horse he's going to be going to spend thrift farm remember this he beat Medina Spirit in uh, the uh, Santa Anita Derby last year. Say it's been so long, people kind of forget. I should say this year. Uh, boy, that's how long it's been. We are 
getting ready to close out the year. But uh, rock your world. Uh, he is gorgeous. He, he, you know, he's proven himself, uh, you know, uh, as one that can sprint and go long. But uh, nonetheless, he's going to stud at Spendthrift Farm. I did not see a stud fee listed. And uh, for you football fans out there, NFL Hall of Famer Sam Huff passed away. What you might not know is he uh, was pretty well known as an owner and breeder. It was very influential in the uh, the West Virginia program and helped put on their big, uh, their big card. So Sam Huff, I loved you as a football player. Uh, good luck up there uh, with, with playing ball with the Angels. Well, that's a look at last week's headlines and a setup for the show. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and we come back. We're going to talk to one of the toughest guys that rides today, none other than T.D. Houghton. I'm John Englehart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. BUSR brings you the best options for Triple Crown season, and now is the time to get in on the action. Bet on the Kentucky Derby with BUSR. Enjoy daily rebates and cash bonuses, including up to a $500 welcome bonus for Winning Ponies listeners. Enter promo code PONIES, P-O-N-I-E-S, when you sign up at BUSR.com backslash ponies. Again, that's promo code PONIES, P-O-N-I-E-S, at BUSR.com backslash ponies. Bet with confidence. Bet with BUSR. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show, Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and with me now, you heard my intro at the top of the show. Uh, I've really been looking forward to talking to T.D. Houghton. Uh, Right now, he sits as the 19th leading rider in the history of thoroughbred racing, Uh, but he is one of the few active in those top 20, so we'll see if he he moves up. Uh, The the way he's built and the way his mind is right, he he might ride till he's 80 years old. I have no idea. (laughs) So with no further ado, T.D. Houghton, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it, 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 it's great to hear your voice. Happy to have you on. 
you know, I don't want to, you know, make this a medical show, but I do have to go over your, 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 your litany of injuries at some point in, in, in this interview, but we won't start there. Um, that, so you've really made your reputation in the Midwest, uh, in Michigan in Ohio. And I know the many years that you spent the winters down at Tampa. I mean, you were right there, uh, leading the standings just about any place you went, but you came from Colorado, Denver, Colorado. Uh, your father, Ron was a jockey and I, think it's quite a family affair you've got three brothers that are jockeys too kind of recap uh, your childhood and how you got into the game well um yeah my, my dad was a you know was a jockey and stuff like that when when i was growing up um and a couple of my uncles on my dad's side of the family were also were jockeys and um but also on my mom's side of the family my um my mom's brother uh bobby uh Gaffione was a jockey and then his son uh, Steve was also a, a jockey, and now um, Steve's son, uh, Tyler, Tyler Gaffione, is is a, is a jockey and, and doing real well. Oh, been, we were just uh, talking about him. At, yeah, Churchill Downs and Keeneland and uh, Kentucky Downs. I mean, he's he's doing real well. So he's and, and somewhat just related last week, to he you. Won, um, he's uh, he's my uh, second cousin. Uh, Steve, uh, his, his, his dad is, uh, my first cousin, but he, um, my mom's side of the family, my, um, my uncle Bobby, my, my mom's brother, uh, Bobby, uh, Gaffioni is, uh, Steve's dad, which is Tyler's dad. So now what tracks were, were, were running out in the Colorado area? Um, when my dad was started riding, um, Arapahoe and, um, uh, Centennial. And, and but um, now I think there's there's only one racetrack there. I think it's a, still a wrap all. That's the only one that's that's racing in Colorado. Um, I believe though that they're trying to get like you know most racetracks trying to get the uh, casinos involved or you know slot slot machines and stuff. So I th- I believe they're supposed to have more uh, better purses and stuff like that next year. I was told, but I'm not 100 percent sure. So as kind of like as Nebraska, as also that's the same thing they're doing too. They're supposed to be getting the uh, uh, casino racing there also. Now, as a young man, were you kind of a a a, a barn kid where you were kind of going around the backstretch and watch <laughs> your dad ply ply his tray? What was it like as a young guy? And someday you thinking, hey, I could ride too. Actually, yeah, when I when I was young and stuff like that, that's when. My parents had moved to uh, Michigan, and that's where I grew up. And we lived like right down the racetrack, from uh, right down the street from the racetrack in uh, Hazel Park. And er- ever since I was little, man, I was always wanting to be at the racetrack and stuff. And uh, growing up, um, uh, my uh, my parents um, had horses and stuff like that. And my dad had ponies and, and stuff. So when he was getting near the end of his uh, riding career, he started. Um, uh, just mainly like exercising horses and ponying horses and stuff like that. And so and my mom, um, before she became a, a beautician, she had worked at the racetrack also, uh, grooming horses and stuff. So whenever, you know, whenever we could, we were always at, at the track. And, and growing up, my brother and I, um, my dad was, and my, my older sisters too, uh, they, they, they worked at the racetrack also, but um, I think I was the only one that really wanted to be a jockey, though, because even my brother, 
my brother, um, Billy, he's only like a year and six days older than I am. And, um, but you know, he, he liked the horses and stuff like that, but he didn't have the same interest that wanted to be the jockey though. I think I was the only one out of the five kids that, that did. Now, when I first started seeing your name, it was when I would check the races, uh, in, in Michigan. And I mean, you really, you ruled the roost up there for a lot of years while they were still running, but it seems to me you got out just in time. Yeah. Um, well, the only thing that really ended Michigan was, um, when, uh, they, they, they were having just like, you know, all the research and stuff they had, they, Unfortunately, they don't get the casinos or the slot machines at the tracks and stuff like that. They kind of go under. And Michigan was was doing fairly well. You know, they were doing okay when they were at Great Lakes Downs. But they tried to move to closer to Detroit because they were thinking they would get better, you know, handles and stuff like that. Because um, around uh, around Detroit, like where DRC was and, and Hansburg Racetrack, they used to do real well with the you know people you know, loved horse racing there and stuff so that, you know, they would get big crowds and stuff. So they, they opened up uh, Pinnacle and, and that racetrack there, it was, a, it was a good track, but it was just, it was, it, um, it was close to, the, to Detroit and it was not far from where uh, DRC was, but the only problem was it was like where it was off the highway and stuff like that it was hard to get to. And then they, they didn't have it finished before they even opened it. And that was the biggest problem because when they opened it, they didn't even have a grandstand or anything. They had a real small, um, like, cub house. And then they had what they called the, the grandstand was, like, bleachers, like you would see at a football, uh, high school football game. <laughs> and so, like, the first the first day, opening day for their track, they had a huge crowd. They, they, they had to turn away so many people because there was nowhere to put them. And, and that, that kind of that, that hurt them, too. But the racetrack actually was really good. But it, I wish they would have before they opened it. They would have finished it. They had more. They had more barns and and, and everything. And actually had built a, a um, grandstand. That I think that place would have been able to make it. And I think they only ran maybe three years because I, I only rode it the first year that they were open. And then after that, I think that's when I went started um, riding in West Virginia. The money was good there and stuff. And I ended up getting an agent there and and and. At that time, you know, it looked like the best, you know, best move for me at, at that point. Well, uh, TD, I mean, it's so great to be talking to you because uh, you have no license to even be holding a phone to your ear and speaking to me right now. Let me just go back. Mm-hmm. You started riding in 1987. Your first bad injury, you were only 18 years old. A horse fell on you. You spent two weeks in the hospital with a bruised heart, s- several ribs, collarbone. Then in 2000... Yeah. Uh, your ankle broke so bad, you said you looked down in the ambulance and your foot was pointing in the wrong direction. Then in 2002, this was kind of a life-changing or could have been a life-changing industry uh, injury in, in where you had a, a traumatic brain injury uh, from your spill when you were kicked in the head and you were out for a year. Let's pause there before we get up to this year. What was that like coming back from a brain injury? Well, that was that was yeah, that was something else because um, when when that didn't, when I, when I got hurt too, it was weird because like, you know with the brain injury and stuff like that, I didn't even realize how bad I was hurt until um, my my mom, my sister, my sister Renee, um, really because she works at a hospital close to Detroit, 
and um, my niece, her daughter, is a RN there, and so so she kind of knows like a lot of doctors and a lot of a lot of things that you know go on in the hospitals and everything like that. Well, anyways, she had set up um, me to be transferred from uh, Muskegon, Michigan, the hospital where I was taken to when I had the traumatic brain injury, to move to uh, Beaumont Hospital um, in Royal Oak to to get into a, a neurotherapy place and stuff and and when I was leaving when they came to get me and they were taking me to that other hospital and stuff um that's when I realized how bad my injury was because then I knew my you know my memory wasn't right and things weren't normal but fortunately um the therapy that they got me into and stuff like that it was like going back to school again I had to you know they had to help strengthen my brain and, and retrain it and reprogram you know reprogram everything and then kind of had to relearn everything over again and it was like going back to school. It was like, you know, my classes were, 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 were good because you were one-on-one with your therapist and stuff like that. And they, they knew, like, what types of things they needed to do to help you to, you know, to, you know, for your brain to heal, to strengthen and stuff. And then also, like, what type of diet to put you on and stuff like that and what types of foods and vitamins and stuff like that to take, you know. And, and fortunately... Um, at that time, for being athletic and, and healthy and, and strong, um, and and fairly young at that age, uh, when when I was injured, that my brain did heal, and, and you know, and everything that I was having problems with, and so like that, you know, fortunately came back. Um, but it, it was a long process. I was in the, in therapy for like just over a year. I didn't ride for um, a year and a half actually before I was able to go back to riding. And two, when when I started it, you know, there was no talk of me ever going back to riding. They were like, you know, they told me from the beginning that, like, you know, that I would never ride again. And when I first started my therapy and everything like that, all I wanted to do at that time was I just wanted to get better, to be able to live a normal life. And I had two young daughters, and I wanted to be able to help raise them and be a part of their lives and stuff. So my, my biggest concern wasn't so much about ever getting back to riding. That came later. And after I, you know, started healing and, and getting better and stuff like that, then I started realizing, and I was uh, seeing another doctor and stuff like that about my injury and stuff like that, and, and talking to him, a, a neurologist and stuff, and he was saying that, you know, as long as um, I gave my brain enough time to heal and everything was, you know, coming back and, you know, I was able to do it again, he said that I would... I, you know, I wouldn't be like everybody's like, oh, once you get a concussion, you're more susceptible to getting a concussion easier, you know, with, you know, with less of a uh, blow to the head and stuff like that. And and the reason that is, is because like football players and stuff like that, they return to playing football before their brains are actually completely healed. And that's mm-hmm. why they're more susceptible to being injured again. And in order for your brain to completely heal and stuff like that, it's like a good, like you need to at least have at least six months to a year off. You know, to to be like like at, when I returned, my doctor told me that you know I'm no no more susceptible to being able to, you know to get another injury than I was before my first one. So you know, not that I couldn't do it again, you know, but ho- hopefully never you know ever get a blow to the head like that again, and just you know I should be all right. <laughs> Well, I remember because be, that, that's when I first met you. Uh, you reached out and said, John, can I get on your show? At that time, I was doing a, a television show from – I said, great. I mean, I knew who you were. And, and I said, hey, thanks, but 
what made you re- he go he go I want to get on television and show people hey I'm just fine <laughs> you know don't <laughs> don't start rumors you know traumatic uh, uh, you know brain injury look folks I'm here I'm talking with John we're picking horses we're talking about the game and uh, I don't know what small way that might have helped but since then you've come back with racing down in Michigan uh, you moved not far away as one of your top clients came over uh, to Ohio and you've been extremely successful uh, ever since. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. I know this is tough for you going through this. Then in 2014, you broke your back, you broke your collarbone, and the following year, uh, you were voted Comeback Rider of the Year by the Jockeys Guild. And just when you think everything's behind you, this year comes up, I think it was April 10th, horses go down, horse flails out, catches you in the face and you had to have this amazing comeback from facial fractures. I mean, you don't have to go into much detail, but, uh, that had to be tough, not being able to communicate, not being able to eat anything solid. Uh, how did you get your mind right and your strength back? Yeah, this, I'm going to tell you that by far, this was the most painful injury that I've ever had in my whole career. And, and, uh, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm like what it was is because like all the damage was mostly done to my face. I did break my. It's weird because I don't even think of it as an injury. Like my biggest thing was my face, but I broke my actually my left tibia also and tore the MCL in my knee. But um, that was like healed seemed like like quick compared to what my face was. You know how long it had taken for my face to heal. But um, um, the hardest thing was like um, just because. Um, around my eyes and stuff like that, the the eye sockets were were crushed, especially on the right side. So I had a lot of trouble with my my vision also, and and just like the the, the pressure around my face and, and around my mouth because all all around the top part of my my um, my mouth and on the top part of my gums was all broken and and crushed pressed in. So like in my mouth, I got like three uh, pins that are up and above my uh, teeth and, and my gums and then like in my face and around my cheeks around my eyes I got like four plates in my face and <laughs> it was like you know that, um, that that was like like the hardest thing was too like after they like did the surgery and stuff like that they had to put a trach in there so I could breathe in order to go into my mouth and then into my face and, and to repair everything around my my eyes and everything like that so when I first got out of the, the surgery and stuff like that, and I uh, was in the hospital and stuff, it was hard because I couldn't even talk or anything like that. They're trying to teach me how to press the, the little button and out of the hole in the top of the tray to, so I had to hold it in and try to talk like that. But the worst part was it hurt to try to swallow or, or even because of as bad as my jaws were broken and everything like that, um, I had like uh, this metal plates and braces all the way across the top part of my mouth and, and all this, uh, uh, where they had, um, wired it all together and stuff. So I was like, for a long time, I I couldn't even chew anything. I was eating like soft foods and mostly like liquids and stuff like that. And from all the pain medication that they, they had given me while I was in the hospital and stuff like that, when I got out of the hospital, um, right after I got out of there for like six days, my stomach was so messed up. I, I couldn't even eat anything. And it was like if I even thought about looking at the food or anything like that, I thought I was going to get sick. 
So so finally, I, I ended up going to see a, a doctor for my stomach and stuff, and he gave me this medication and stuff I started taking, and and that helped my stomach, because then after that, I was fine. I could, you know, I was able to eat normal and stuff like that, just not chew anything. Um, that was like, like, a, like even now, it still hurts, like, if I try to chew stuff that's too hard. And uh-huh. so I still eat, like, but I like fish and stuff like that. Anyways, that's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on you know, steaks or anything like that. Um, but still, even now, like, I, I have to cut everything up small and still, it's still hard to chew because I'm still having, like, dental work done and stuff like that. Like, one of my teeth was broken off up in the gum and they ended up having to uh, do an extraction and extract it. And and the other day, I, last week, I had to go back in there and they had to um, prep it. They are going to put a, a, a implant in there. So they had to go up and in, into the bone, and like now I got like, uh, these stitches in my mouth and stuff. But oh, um, Terry, you, you're, you're yeah. killing me here. You're, you're killing me. All right, well, listen, uh, you know, I, we'll, we'll, we'll get out of the medical thing because I've only got like a minute mm-hmm. and a half left. But uh, TD, you, you are such a smart guy. You're very cerebral, and I've always respected that about you. Um, in that during this downtime, you didn't waste any time because uh, you're already looking forward to when someday you're not going to be in the saddle. You're winning hundred thousand dollar races right now, but uh, you were you charted a path to possibly get you up in the steward stand. Yeah, it worked out in a way as like you know, kind of like a blessing in disguise. Um, Normally, what to do the stewarding school, and so with that you have to either go to Kentucky or they have one in California, and I think Phoenix or something like that. But because of the COVID thing and everything like that, they end up this year um, they had it online, so it worked out good. So I was home and I was you know able, not able to do anything, I didn't go anywhere else. So I ended up taking the class, and it was from uh, it was like six days a week, and it was from eight o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the afternoon. Wow! And so. It was good. It was it was nice because you know, like you know, I got the the um the, the the books to read on and everything like that. So I read all the all the books and everything like that, and did the classes. And you know, it was all online. We got to watch the videos and stuff like that. Only thing now is I, I just have to uh, take the three written tests, and um, uh-huh. and as long as I pass them, then I you know get my uh, accreditation for being a, a steward. <laughs> Well, T.D. Houghton, with with all of the uh, guts that you have shown over the years and your ability to put your mind right and say, I'm going to do something and you do it, I have no doubt about it that someday I'll be walking into a press box somewhere (laughs) and and you'll be at the end office down there with two other guys as a a steward. I have no doubt about it because you've already shown when you put your mind to doing something, you can get it done. Well, TD, I should have penciled you in for an hour because I could talk forever, but my great producer, Josh, is telling me I got to get out and sell some commercials. (laughs) So listen, man, I hope I run across you. We're not too far away at the the tracks we go to. I look forward to seeing you in person. God bless you and your beautiful daughters. And I wish you nothing but the best. And uh, the, the, the day you do decide to hang up your tack, give me a call because I want to talk about the next chapter in your life, TD. Okay, John. I re- yeah, I will do that. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
All right, T.D. Houghton, one of the top guys, not only in the saddle, but one of the top men I have met in this sport. And while ending on that note, we're going to take a little bit break. We can come back and talk to another top guy uh, in this sport, though uh, he's never done it with his feet in the irons. Uh, His name, none other than Eric Wing. He's the czar of horse tourneys, and he will be stowing upon us his picks for this weekend's upcoming races and give you the inside skinny of where you can get in on the action. I'm John Englehart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free, 1-866-472-5788, or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and with us now, a man that is no stranger to the show and no stranger to the world of racing. Eric Wing's going to come on with us. As you know, he, he's uh, he's been on uh, quite a bit, and he always comes on and helps us out, tells us what contests are coming up. But just as we got off uh, with Terry, I, you know, the racing community is a small one. The rumors are out, and Eric, it... Uh, it got out that you had a serious hangnail and it's been affecting your ability to perform your duties on the keyboard. Uh, how's your recovery and your rehab coming? Doing great, doing great. Uh, you know, those hangnails, they, they can be uh, painful sometimes, but, uh, no, I, you know, I just, uh, I was out of commission for about a week and then, uh, uh, nothing serious or nothing important. So everything is good. And, uh, uh, was was healthy as a horse, so to speak, for Breeders' Cup, and was able to enjoy that weekend. And and obviously these last few weeks as we uh, head into next year. Well, we're going to get on to the races we're going to look at and the contest that you're offering. Because as I was getting ready for the show, boom, I got another uh, you know email from you about what's coming up. But uh, I wanted to tap into you real quick because I haven't talked to you for a couple of weeks about your takeaways from the Breeders' Cup. I mean, we saw big wins. 
uh, Champions Crown, Life is Good, Echo Zulu, uh, Corniche, uh, Nick's Go, potentially. Um, and then we saw a lot of horses that made us tear up tickets. Uh, Gamin, Jackie's Warrior, Latruska. Um, wh- what was, uh, you know, some of your or your biggest uh, takeaway on the two-day event? Um, you know, in addition to all those fine horses and winners that you cited, uh, one of my takeaways, I think, when I look back, and, and, and I think this will be the case, you know, well into the future, will be kind of the the domination of Charlie Appleby. I mean, the guy seemed to either, his horses either won or got scratched at the gate, one of the two. So, you know, if they if they made it into the... Uh, into and out of the starting gate, they were they were dangerous. And and the funny thing is, John, um, not a single horse player can say um, they, that they were caught unaware by unawares by uh, Appleby because he's basically been doing this all all year long. He was something like six for twelve during the year, and then you know all in in big stakes races. Uh, on the grass, and he just came over and dominated. I thought, you know, the Breeders' Cup between horses like Space Blues and Yabir, and and obviously Modern Games, who uh, uh, <clears throat> you know ran uh, won that uh, controversy marred Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to remember. You know, it seems to me. Um, it, it, not, no disrespect meant whatsoever to, to Nick's go, but, um, you know, out of 14 Breeders' Cup races, quite often the, the classic is like the, you know, the seventh or eighth most, most interesting in retrospect, just because, you know, shorter field and, well, uh, you know, the kind of just went wire to wire. It wasn't as interesting a race as some of those others. I mean, uh, you know, some of those uh, favorites you mentioned, I, I didn't really like any of them. But, you know, Jackie's Warrior and and Latruska and and um, uh, the other's Gamine. name is escaping Gamine. But um, and and that's probably a predisposition on my part to try to beat the favorite. But um, you know, one of the races I'm going to remember is. Is uh, there were two horses I really liked, and I thought, oh man, this couldn't be working out better, and then just get you know nipped at the wire. One of them was with Doctor Shivel in mm-hmm. the uh, in the uh, Jackie's Warrior race, who of course got got caught at the end by Aloha West, and then the other horse I really needed was uh, Broom from the uh, Aiden O'Brien barn in the turf, who got. Uh, uh, almost similarly, albeit a different surface, but somewhat similarly run down by your beer. So uh, those were the those were the two for me that got away. Um, but it was uh, a fun weekend, and and uh, aside from the the uh, vet snafu there on Friday, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and and I thought a pretty good Breeders' Cup. That one incident uh, aside. Well, uh, between you and me, um, I lost hundreds of dollars uh, because of some friggin' vet uh, that didn't see that the horse 
modern games was led out of the starting gate and did not break through the starting gate, scratched him and then unscratched him, and in doing so, scratched my pick four tickets, of which I had Ugh. several. So I can sit here and grouse about that, but that's something horse players do after a couple of beers, and I, I haven't had any since St. Patrick's Day. So we'll leave it there. Happy for modern games. Not happy for my pick four ticket, but we will well, move know, from... um, The one thing that, uh, I mean, I feel bad for you and a lot of others in your stead who uh, <clears throat> are, you know, in the same position you were in, and it, it, the rule just has to be changed, plain and simple. We can't go forward with these um, switching people to the post-time favorite. It, it doesn't make sense. It's not a sensible maneuver in a paramutual game. It's like, you know, if our lives depended on the outcome of the race, then yes, we might want the, the you know, the security of the favorite. But, but that's not the case in a paramutual game when we're all, everything we do is odds dependent and risk reward oriented. So basically the industry has to care enough to change these rules and Granted, it has to be done on a state-by-state -state basis, which would, which will take longer. But somebody's got to actually be upset and motivated to act beyond the 48 or 72 hours after the uh, incident. And so, you know, we'll see if we'll see if that is the case, or people just uh, blow it off and say, uh, I "Guess it wasn't that big a deal anyway, uh, after all," because uh, nobody's complained since uh, November seventh or eighth so you know let's let's see what happens the one thing that kind of i found weird or, mm -hmm. or, or objectionable uh and i don't mean to uh, ramble on about this but you know part of being a vet on the ground is knowing who's in the race and, and by by that i don't mean like the, the the idiosyncrasies of the horses which is important but i think part of what happened in that race uh, part of why there was confusion is because in the one and two holes you had uh, modern games and Albar wearing identical Godolphin silks, other than the jockey's cap. Right. And as a as a vet, you've got to know that you've got to know that before the horses even get to the gate. This can't be a surprise. Oh, you know, you can't be sitting there saying, oh, yeah, it was the horse in blue that bolted through the gate. Uh, oh, you mean there were two? I didn't know that. You know, that, that can't stand. Um, and, and I don't know if that was the case, but it seemed like it was the case with the mistaken scratch. I mean, it was like, a, it was, you know, the, it was a worse case of mistaken identity than you see on, uh, like, an episode of Perry Mason. So uh, um, it, it was just very unfortunate and as for all the you know oh it's a human error um it, it's just one that shouldn't happen and and i would bet money that that's why it happened because they weren't paying attention to the fact that there were two identically clad godolphin riders side by side I know, I know. Well, listen, I'm down to about six minutes for your segment, right. so I don't want to jump right into the handicapping, so we'll just have to speed handicap, but yep. <clears throat> three hours ago, I got my latest 
First qualifier to horse tourneys presented by Tournament at Tampa Bay Downs plus first chance play-ins to Del Mar, Santa Anita, and the 2022 BCBC Highlight. Um, capsulize for us what's going on, and I will just tell our listeners to go over to horse tourneys and get the details. As always, you have contests for everyone at every level. Yeah, well, we're running a, a special on-track tournament on January 8th at Tampa Bay Downs. It's an NHC qualifier. It's going to be an extra special one with a lot of uh, increased amenities and hospitality. Um, it's going to cost $1,000 to play if you show up at Tampa on January 8th, but you can win an entry uh, for 80 bucks uh, starting this Sunday at horse tourneys, and we'll continue to offer those qualifiers or satellites, if you will, if you're used to the poker. Um, also at our sister site at Horse Players, <clears throat> uh, Sunday is the first opportunity in which to qualify for next year's Breeders' Cup betting challenge, so uh, nothing like securing a spot to that uh, way in advance. And, of course, we'll have a bunch of uh, cash games this weekend, as well as, uh, like you pointed out, qualifiers for the first time to the, the Del Mar Challenge next weekend, to the Santa Anita Opening Day Challenge on December 26th, and a host of others. So whether you want to play for money or play for tournament seats down the road, you can do it this weekend and every weekend at horsetourneysandhorseplayers.com. All right. Well, this is going to be like speed dating. We get to sit down in front of each other, look at each other. We got about a minute and a half to talk about each race. We'll go from East Coast to West this weekend. Uh, the uh, uh, endurance race of the weekend, the Red Smith, uh, a mile and three eighths. Um, I don't have any odds in front of me, but they're probably favorites. But uh, I, I came to Channel Cat, who hasn't done much recently, but certainly. Um, it has a class edge o o over this edge. And uh, a horse that I found interesting, uh, Soldier Rising, I've got to make this point before we move on, is this horse, according to the stats, was gelded the day of his first win. <laughs> and he's a son of Frankel. Boy, what decision went into that? Uh, yeah, well, I don't believe those trainer, uh, those gelding dates as, as a matter of course. But that, that, the Frankel business tells you he was probably a handful and they needed that for him to be, uh, to, to be allowed onto the racetrack, essentially. But um, I, I, I like that horse a lot, Soldier Rising. You talk about Class Edge. Three back, he runs second at Saratoga to State of Rest, who goes on to win the Grade 1 Cox Plate against Older in Australia. Two back, he runs second in the Jockey Club Derby to Yabir, who only uh, went on to win a race uh, called the Breeders' Cup Turf. Um, last out, caught going too short a distance. Uh, Way closed, wide. Closed late for fifth. Um, the three horses who ran 1-2-3 or 1-2-3 around the track, including a 48-to-1 shot. This horse was bothered at the start of that race going into the first turn. I like Soldier Rising a lot in the Red Smith. All right, stay on your fast track, buddy. I'm running out of time. Uh, the uh, Chaluki, 300,000 at Churchill, Phillies and Mares, three and up. They say that once Cox entered uh, Matera, it was hard to hustle other horses into the race, but I think obligatory in Sally's Curlin could be a factor in here. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think 
obligatory will be the favorite. And uh, he's just, he, she's been the kind of horse who's, I think always been like a length or two behind her press clippings. Uh, the one horse I'm interested in playing is what I consider to be a poor man's or a poor woman's obligatory, in that like obligatory, she does better going around one turn. That's number eight, Princess Causeway for Ian Wilkes. Um, three for seven on dirt. Um uh, has won at Churchill, has won at a mile. She's got speed in a race with not a, a whole lot of it. Um, to me, she's the one that's the best gamble in this race. Matera is legit. Obligatory, not the kind of horse I like to bet um, a, a favorite coming in off a bad race. So for me, it's Princess Causeway there in the Chaluki and... Um, I think she'll be. I, I think she'll be every bit of that six to one with with Landeros in the saddle. All right, Eric. I'm really running short. We only got about a minute here. The Native Diver. It's a Grade Three. It's kind of like a lot of horses that have been uh, close, but no cigar. Obviously, the class of the race is uh, mid court, I believe. Uh, just got you got to put a line through the awesome again. That made no sense. Uh, uh, finishing eighth, and then uh, the, what? A horse that was highly touted as a youngster, but hasn't done too much lately. Eight rings. Yeah, um, I'm with you on midcourt. I mean, six of six of her last twelve races are, are triple-digit buyers that would win this. I, last race was a stinker, but I don't think John Sheriffs is going to run an unfit horse in this race. And uh, dropping five pounds off that uh, previous good effort, eight rings I will let beat me. Um, coming back just two weeks after what was a pretty intense race, the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, and also going farther than he's ever gone before, despite a pedigree that's short. So I, I don't like this race as much as the other two we discussed, but I will make a small play on midcourt in the uh, Native Diver. All right, Eric, thanks a million for joining us again. I really appreciate your input. Uh, best of luck to you, and I remind our listeners, just go on over to Horse Tourneys, and you'll see everything that Eric's talking about. Thanks a million, my friend. I appreciate you being on. You're very welcome, John. All right. Well, uh, that pretty much uh, wraps this show. But again, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, thank our producer, Josh. I mean, I am not kidding. When this guy walks me through, he keeps me steady. He just let me know I only got about 15 seconds left. So uh, I will let that go. But needless to say, uh, Josh, uh, I know you can hear me. Thank you very much. And for holding my hand through the rough times, I appreciate it greatly. Uh, best of luck in all of your future uh, ventures. Again, I want to thank T.D. Houghton, Eric Wing, and thank you for listening to Winning Ponies. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.